Company Watch Financial Analytics. So hello everyone and welcome to our first Company Watch coronavirus podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, our battle-scarred financial and commercial risk analyst. Um, he's a chartered accountant and insolvency practitioner in a previous incarnation, and his career has spanned far too many job roles and industries to, to list here. So welcome, Nick. <laughs> Good morning, Joe. Thank you. So by way of, uh, of introduction, I think at the outset, you know, we've got to acknowledge that the new world we're living in at the moment um, and the experiences that we're all facing of a momentous economic and social change that's happening pretty much daily is extraordinary and primarily a humanitarian tragedy that's going to cost the lives and livelihoods of people on a scale that's pretty unimaginable, really, um, in peacetime at least. And we're really conscious that what we're going to be talking about has a human dimension in terms particularly of lives lost too soon and individuals who'll be facing economic uncertainty and not to mention a period of bleak isolation for many vulnerable people who are now confined to their homes. So we, we really don't want to lose sight of this. And, and those things um, on the humanitarian side aren't really our expertise, but we, we thought it would be helpful to share what we, we think we, we have got some expertise in. So we, we decided to record a series of podcasts um, to focus attention on understanding how to manage business risk. And the particular focus will be on risks in credit and procurement. And I should say, we're not saying that we have all the answers. You know, this is such a fast moving situation and, and something that, that none of us have really got that direct experience on something this scale. But we hope that, that these, these thought sessions will be useful and perhaps spark some ideas for, for things that can be helpful. So today we thought we'd have a look at the um, corporate ethics and responsible behaviour um, side of things, which, you know, we've had quite a few stories. We're recording this on the 27th of March 2020, and we've had quite a few stories over the last week of, um, of different firms dealing with, with the crisis in quite, quite a range of, of ways. So, Nick, I wonder if you could give us an overview of, of this for us. Um, uh, yes, I mean, I'll, I'll come on to some of the, the good guys and the bad guys uh, that are emerging. Um, but uh, I'm sort of stepping back a little bit and, and just wondering, as a precursor to that, what it is that's emerging um, uh, in this crisis. And, and really what I see is a fundamental reshaping of the UK and the world economy. I mean, of course, it's a pause in spending, but it's also a redistribution of revenues. Uh, and we're seeing it. I mean, for example, in the grocery, you know, the grocery trade is gaining hand over fist at the moment at the expense of the hospitality industry, like restaurants, um, streaming services like Netflix and and the new Disney uh, service are gobbling up money that used to go to cinemas and theatres. And and the big questions I keep asking myself are, how long is this going to go on for? And of course, the sad thing is we, we don't have a clue at this stage. You know, it's, it's sure as heck not going to be three weeks. Is it only going to be yeah. three months? We'll see. Um, and also, it, are these changes only going to be short term? And the answer is maybe, which maybe is no answer at all. Um, I think there will be a longer term shift in consumer behaviour. I'm not sure, but I think so. You know, 
history tells us, you know, post the two world wars in the last century um, and other crises, that there will be a post-crisis binge when we emerge from isolation and we be, we're able to spend money again. But you know, I keep asking some some questions. Will we dine out as much as we got used to before this started? Will we it's ever- hard, isn't it, to know, isn't it? I think that, that we are all changing our habits so dramatically mm. um, that, and 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 perhaps you know, none of us really knew quite how to cook and how to how to have the social <laughs> life at home. But we're we're kind of creating that for ourselves, and we will have to do that for at least, as you say, it's not three weeks. It will be, I imagine, at least months. We're talking here, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, again, and I ask myself, you know, are people ever going to feel comfortable again in an overcrowded pub or a bar? So will people congregate in large numbers after an initial uh, release of tension? Uh, And also, I mean, for example, will we buy so much disposable fashion in in future? There was a a wonderful story on Twitter yesterday that um, before they all closed down, the fashion online stores were seeing um, a marked increase in the sale of um, the top half of more formal outfits and almost interest <laughs> in the bottom half because when you're all on video screen, you can't see. You can't see. It's like the wonderful story from decades ago of a, of a well-known BBC newsreader who once read the news whilst naked from the waist down. <laughs> Apocryphal, I'm sure. <laughs> astonishing. Uh, yes, I mean, I really suspect that there's going to be um, in the medium term, an adjustment to consumer attitudes, um, possibly um, more of an impetus to save um, for rainy days, because now we understand that they're not just rainy, but sometimes they're um, deluged. They're deluged. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and what we have to remember is that many developed and developing economies are dependent on consumer spending. The UK certainly is. So if this all, if this whole scenario is, is going to change business and consumer behavior, uh, the, what people involved in, in uh, risk analysis and risk management have got to do is begin to sort out the companies that are far-sighted enough and nimble enough in terms of cash and management flexibility to be able to position themselves First of all, to succeed, but also to avoid um, not making it into that uh, into that change future, which sort of brings me to this whole corporate ethics problem, where what has emerged, I mean, literally over the last couple of days, um, is executives having to realise that they're um, they're fighting a, a battle to use that analogy that the politicians keep using. They're fighting a war where the battlefield's changing moment by moment. Uh, they're overwhelmed with information. And there's emerging a conflict between their um, fiduciary responsibility to their stakeholders, particularly the shareholders, and the public interest. And they're being held to account in the court of public opinion in real time and um, we have but an it's example so much easier isn't it it's so much easier now um to, to for, for employees to <laughs> take to social media and make very public very quickly what otherwise would have been said behind closed doors and in normal times where people may have been scared to be the whistleblower 
um, to, to call time on some of these behaviours. Actually, the the rules have changed, haven't they? I think just even in the last week or so, the rules on on what what employees mm. are allowed to say, I think, has been have been ripped apart somewhat. Oh, com- completely. And and you know, you look at a, a paragon of commercial virtue uh, like Next um, being forced um, uh, to close its online business this morning, um, initially because of the complaint of one um, worker, one one uh, picker in a warehouse saying that they didn't feel safe and they, they really objected to being forced to go into what they felt was a dangerous environment. And mm. lo and behold, 36 hours later, Next have closed their online business, which for them, that's half their business. So they now have no business, they're only half their business. And I think, I mean, I don't know whether this is maybe, maybe a, slight, a slight tangent here, but I, I wonder whether with the with the packages that the government has has offered, which, you know, mm. are remarkable, really, I, you know, we've never seen anything on this scale, yeah. that has made people who are perhaps on that, that kind of middle to lower income able to say, well, look, you know, I can get 80% of my wages and be safe at home mm. or I can go and put myself at risk and my family and my you know my, the vulnerable people that I may have to um to still interact with yeah. and it's just not worth it you know I think we, we're seeing more and more pictures coming out aren't we and I think that has a bigger impact on on businesses where the government has in in trying to to help individuals actually it's kind of put a, a another mm. burden on businesses because that the argument for keeping going from a business point of view, actually doesn't really make sense to employees who are saying, well, put me on furlough and I can I can get 80 percent of my of my wages. So there's a there's an unintended, I suspect, impact there, yes. um, which is which is going to start to be to be felt in terms of the contraction of the um, economic activity. Yes. Um, and, and, and what you've also got is and, and I feel incredibly uh, sympathetic with um, executives from some, some <coughs> pardon me, in some industries. Um, that you've got, for example, the construction industry, which doesn't know whether it should be working or not, because mm. the government won't, won't close it down. And yet um, photographs appear on social media of 1,200 workers at a, at a uh, site somewhere all crammed together near the, uh, the entrance gate. So the next thing you know, half of the construction industry is closing down. So you know, if you're an executive, gosh, is this difficult? But and lots of the SMEs, and let's not forget that the you know you have the main contractors, but actually lots of these decisions are going to be taken by the subbies who are yeah. smaller businesses who are you know have that real personal connection to the workforce that they're asking to to go in. And you know I've I've heard of of, of one person who's taking the decision to to close because he just feels it's the right thing to do, and now it's now yeah. working through. We'll be spending the weekend working through what the contractual implications of that are for yeah. him and his business. But you know he felt morally obliged to to to. To protect his his workforce, the people that he's absolutely um, right. So absolutely right, and 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 there is little doubt. Although some of the cynics are saying that the behaviour of companies like Sports Direct and, of course, the um, uh, the bizarre behaviour at uh, Weatherspoons with not paying the staff their eighty percent uh, until they got the cash from the government and arbitrarily refusing to p- to pay any supplier, even for goods. Um, delivered and consumed. Mm. Um, uh, now, that is, uh, so cynics are saying, well, people forget, but I'm not sure they will. I think, pe- you know, Weatherspoons and Sports Direct may well find that there's a, a consumer backlash in the future. Um, and, you know, brand 
uh, a brand reputation is hard won and very, very easily lost. And there are some executives, um, this wonderful phrase I, I heard on Twitter yesterday about this is no time for executives to be tripping over their egos. <laughs> And well, in I fact, think, and we've got, uh, Mike Ashley this morning has has um, has issued a, a statement, hasn't he? I think yeah. you were telling me before we we, re- we started recording that. Um, yes, he's he's, he's grovelled um, and uh, admitted he's behaved badly, and his company has distracted the government at, uh, at a crucial time when it had better things to do, which is mm-hmm. roughly what I said about him on uh, on on Twitter yesterday morning. But I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure uh, my tweet wasn't what tipped him over the edge but uh, this is something that you know we're all um, we're all learning is that um in a crisis you understand who the uh, the good guys and the bad guys are and it it sort of pays to get it right and it pays i think particularly for big companies big executives to be saying to themselves at these moments before i take this decision why don't i just sound people out and See if I can find out what it's going to look like um, uh, in 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 the, in the court of public opinion. Yeah. So I think that's a major change that's happened already. Um, and and if it improves corporate behaviour, I mean, one thing is for sure: executive pay will never be the same again. Well, I, I, how can it be? And I think that's that's the other thing about the these really hard decisions that that businesses are, are, are being forced to make you know and as you say the, the duty to protect the stakeholders the businesses that all all directors have um but equally then there is a moral duty isn't there to to staff and the public in general and i think that that more than ever now we see those companies that have got a little bit of of strength behind them have got a little bit of of balance sheet strength and aren't just relying on that 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 kind of cash in cash out model mm-hmm. um to you know receiving cash one week to pay the stuff the suppliers and the staff um the following week those businesses have got more a, a bigger degree of flexibility when it comes sure. to being able to manage their business um in in this way and i think picking up on what you've you said about weatherspoons i think um gets to a a point that worries me particularly and um and, and people I've, I've been speaking to is this undermining of confidence in the trade credit system and we know that um for smes british business banks say about 36 percent of smes rely on trade credit and 70 percent of those don't have external finance because yeah. they they work on the trade credit basis uh, a tradius the credit insurer uh, published some research later last year that was saying about 55 percent of, of their respondents transacted or offered trade credit now yeah. already i think we we see past due payments about 35 percent according to a trade yes, have got invoices that are paid past their due date and that's normal now if we're if we're starting to get into the situation where suppliers aren't being paid because the cash isn't there to to pay them mm-hmm. what happens in four weeks time in eight weeks time when new supplies need to be to be made will they will will people still have confidence to trade on credit terms or will there be a cash upfront payment? And I think that's the, that's that will have a, a huge second impact on the economy. Um, mm. if, if all the schemes that the government are, are putting out now, inevitably there, there are going to be hiccups with those in terms of the delivery. You know, the intention I think is, is, is absolutely right, but getting that huge amount of money out into the economy and not it being subject to fraud and and all the other things that that, that might go on. There need to be checks. Um, I think that that 
that is a big issue that, that I think everybody is going to need to be quite um, concerned Joe, about. I think, Joe, the, the, the point here is, and I guess we'll be coming back to this um, uh, in, in future uh, podcasts, is just as the government is putting out an unimaginable amount of, of money into the business system, in a way the trade insurers have a moral responsibility in this crisis, and I think they're going to have to come to terms, and also the banks, because the banks are not behaving very well at, at this point in time. Lots of rumours about pressure on uh, on companies to reduce their borrowings and lots of difficulties about accessing these government schemes. Well, I've seen some. I've seen some correspondence actually. Somebody passed to me about the the terms on which the yeah. um, the coronavirus uh, interruption loans are going to be offered, and they yes. basically look like normal commercial loans with guarantees being required. I suspect. I think RBS have already um, come out to to say that they are changing their 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 procedures. Yeah, and let's face it, you know, these are big organisations. You can't change procedures overnight. Yeah. I mean, it's. It's, it's very it's a very difficult thing to to manage. Joe, there's a very simple mechanism working here, um, and, and let's not go on too long about this. But um, basically, um, the banks have got to accept there's going to be a period when their bad debts are going to rise. They're going to be less profitable, and what they don't need to do is what I heard about yesterday is. A business who uh, went to, to their clearing bank uh, as instructed by the government and asked for a business interruption loan. And the response was, well, yes, we can do that for you. It's going to take much longer. Um, uh, but um, if you want the money now, we've got a standard product um, which you can access straight away. But of course, we'll require personal guarantees and the interest rate is going to be 15%. <sighs> So, you know, Where are you, the base rate, Nick? What's the base rate at the moment? Not, uh, not a lot. <laughs> so, so the answer is the banks have got to wise up to the fact they, they almost destroyed their reputation um, back in 2008 and 2009. They better be awfully careful that they don't do it again this time round. Mm. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a lot to be um, picked over there, I think, on the, the banks, certainly. I, I'm conscious that we we promised that this would be a brief um, yeah. overview, and time is sadly marching on. Nick, I could I could spend yeah. a lot of hours talking to you about about this, but let's save this for another time. And thank you so much for for joining us. We will try okay. again to record next week, and yes. um, I think we'll we'll certainly be picking up on on some of these these themes again next week. So Nick Hood, thank you so much for for joining me, and to everybody, thank you very much for listening. Thank you.